And I think maybe even I had this in my marriage. It's like, I'm going to do everything for you. P.S. The one thing you need to give me is a sense of self, a good sense of self. Right. And if I don't have that, then I have nothing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Season 2 of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by the Cunins in honor of their amazing daughter, sister, and aunt, Khani Kunin, on her marriage to Zelik Shemtov on Wednesday, Chafgimel Sivan. May they build a bias Naman Biestral and give Nachas to the Rebbe. Thank you to the Kunins for making today's episode happen. The second dedication is sponsored by the family of Masha Basbacheva in honor of her complete Rufua Shalema. If you could take a minute to say a capital to Tehillim or just keep her in your prayers, it would be so appreciated. Thank you so much to our sponsors for making today's episode happen. If you would like to sponsor an episode in honor of a birthday, a yard site, someone you love, please visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at humanandholy at gmail.com. The episode sponsorships keep this podcast going, and I'm so grateful for all of our sponsors, past and present, for making this show happen. Today, we talk about the soul. What does it look like to internalize the identity of the neshama? as our own, to approach our reflection with a deep understanding of our essence and of the way it does not hinge on anything, but on the peace of God inside. Sterna Ginsberg is the author of Your Awesome Self, a Hasidic teacher, and as you will hear in this episode, a delightful, sincere, intelligent woman with a deep connection to the information that she learns. It was a pleasure to speak with her. Join us today as we explore the identity of our souls. Hi, so I'm Sterna Ginsberg. I think to your audience, they're probably most familiar with me as the author of the book, Your Awesome Self. I'm a shlucha in Bar Park. I've been in Chinuch for a bunch of years, like ever since, ever since, <laughs> I guess 25 years or so. And wow. my passion is living with Hasidus. My passion is living with Hasidus and and your awesome self as the center of it all, which I'm so excited to be speaking about <laughs> today. Okay, nice. Thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to have you. And I think we're going to tackle a really foundational concept that we talk about a lot and sort of mention in passing. And we a lot of people take for granted that we understand what it means, but there's so much to explore about the neshama. What does it actually mean for us to identify with our souls? And that's a lot of what you explore in your awesome self and a lot of what you explore in your teaching. So today we're specifically focusing on that neshama. I would love if you could begin just by sharing a little bit about what our neshama is and what you've learned about it that helps us identify with it as who we are. 
Okay, well, first of all, I want to just say a huge thank you for having me on. Somebody recently sent me an episode of yours, and I listened to it, and I was like, wow, this is so fantastic, authentic, feminine, delicious, delightfully deep, and yet refreshingly, like it's light. It's just so fantastic, and it's really an honor to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to you. So man is compared to a tree, right? Man is compared to a tree. And when you look at a tree, there are so many different things that you see. There's the fruits, there's the leaves, there's or the flowers or the branches, and then there's that trunk, right? Imagine if you have a sapling tree and you're caring for it and helping it grow. And all you're busy doing is like checking on the fruit, (laughs) checking how did the fruit grow Mm. yet? That wouldn't work. The tree would die. The only way to help the tree grow is by nurturing it at its roots, at its core. Mm. And I think when we look at ourselves, what we see is the fruit. What we see is our actions, our our deeds, our accomplishments, our failures, our mistakes, our weaknesses, all external oriented. We see our flowers, our branches, maybe even our trunk, you know, like the big ideas of who we Mm. are, but we miss out on the essence, the roots of who we are. And when we feel disconnected from that, because the truth is we're never disconnected from our core. We're never disconnected from who we are, but we often feel disconnected, right? Because we don't, we don't pay attention to it. We don't see it. And when we see it, like everybody has an outside and an inside, but we only see people's outsides, right? We only see the edited version, the Photoshopped version of what people are all about. We don't see their insides and we certainly don't see their neshama. So we forget that it's there. And with that, we become like that tree that is disconnected from its roots. And when we're disconnected from its roots, everything about us is impacted. A lot of people talk about self-leadership, self-motivation, self-growth, self-control, self-regulation, all these things. Well, if I don't have a self, how am I supposed to do all of that? And we teach our children and we teach ourselves and we talk Mm. about ourselves. I'm going to exercise some self-control. But if I don't have a self, then my self-control is going to be very weak. I won't be able to have self-control if I don't first have a self. And it's the same thing with self-care. We're so busy with taking care of ourselves. But if I go out and get a manicure, I go take a walk in the park, or even if I spend time with friends, if I don't have a self, then that hour or that time I invested in self-care becomes nothing but an escape from my regular day as opposed to nurturing that core self because I'm not in touch with that core self. So it's like I'm pouring in energy and love. It's not going to where I really need it. It's going into like a bottomless pit. Oh, that's so insightful because we live in a world that constantly reinforces a certain sense of self, which is not always our deepest sense of self. So that idea that the very premise could kind of be empty when we are engaging in all these things like self-control, self-leadership, self-care, and we have to first go to the root, like you said, the root of the tree to see what is the essence and how can I identify what my essence actually is and then operate out of that place as opposed to just like the symptoms of what I'm experiencing in my life. How do we do that? We learn about this idea of neshama and we learn about this idea that within us there is a piece of Hashem and we are a piece of infinity, etc. And a lot of people can 
understand it conceptually, but don't necessarily experience it as their selves. So what is that bridge where we can come to really recognize that sense of self as being our souls? That's a great question. I think it begins with the core of why am I not identifying with my core self as this piece of Hashem, a part of Hashem, is because I think we're just like Hashem himself is hidden. It's not just that my neshama is hidden, Hashem is hidden. We live in a world that rejects, denies, and ignores Hashem, right? It's like we talk about, yeah, Hashem is in charge of the world, but practically speaking, or in Bar Park, they say, Lemaisa, you know, Lemaisa, get practical, get realistic. And the word practical or realistic means whatever you could see and measure and touch and experience in physical matter, as opposed to godliness, which is hidden. And this has become, it's so ingrained in us that we don't even realize. So our definition of reality already creates a disconnection between us and Hashem, our very definition of reality. Being realistic means work within whatever you could see and touch and feel. That's a general understanding. I mean, mm. am I, is that my own experience? Or I think that that's how we all talk. That's how I grew up. And I would say, and this is, sorry, I'm tripping over myself because I'm so excited about this, but it plays itself out in so many different ways. For example, when we talk about Hashem's power or Hashem's presence or Hashem's presence within us, Hashem's power, I could say, you know, we know Hashem is in charge of the whole world and there's nothing in this world that even exists without Hashem wanting it to exist and fueling its existence, right? Well, I used to have no problem saying, yes, Hashem is in charge of the world, I know it. And a minute later saying, I am so frustrated by what this person did, you know, or I'm so upset at myself for doing this. In other words, in that sentence, what I am doing is excluding, denying, and ignoring the fact that Hashem did it. Mm. Like this is really a whole different topic because how do we balance that idea of Hashem is in charge of the whole world and nothing could happen without Hashem and yet people are accountable for their behavior. So how does that play, right? So that's a whole different topic. I'm, yeah, it's an interesting right. question. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole different topic. And the bottom line of that is, yes, everybody, between me and Hashem, I am responsible and accountable for my behavior. But with what I experience in my life, what's coming to me is only coming from Hashem. The other person is a prop. He's not the director. The director is the one who's orchestrating every single thing that happens to us. That's just about Hashem's power. When other people have power, they can't be our partners. We cannot have a healthy relationship. If they're my power mm. and I'm dependent on them for what I need, then I can't have a healthy relationship because I'm too busy being hypervigilant about, you know, mm. watching to make sure that I'm getting what I need from them. But if I'm living, you know, with the energy, the flow of energy in my life is between me and Hashem, Hashem does not want any one of us to suffer. Hashem does not want any of us to perpetuate abuse or dysfunction. So now it becomes not a helpless thing of, oh my gosh, this person is doing this to me and they're destroying me and help and I don't, uh, uh, and I'm, I feel helpless and stuck and angry and miserable and resentful and that disempowers me. It's more like I, my energy is between me and Hashem. So Hashem doesn't want me to be miserable. So now what do I do from this place? How am I going to help myself? How am I going to protect my sanity? How am I going to protect my safety and my well-being? From there, we could set healthy boundaries. We can take care of ourselves 
in a healthy way, in an empowered way, in a dignified way. And yes, sometimes that means, you know, setting boundaries with other people or making requests of other people. But that request is always going to come and that boundary is always going to come from a place of strength and courage and certainty and clarity Mm. without the confusion of maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the other person is, is, you know, like really being able to hear that inner voice and having clarity of like, no, this is not okay. Or yes, this is okay. Mm. That's a good differentiation of like, where am I giving my power? It's like, am I giving this person the power that they are bringing this into my life? Or am I recognizing that they're a conduit for it? And yet I still have to set boundaries or ask them something, et cetera. So it's like, do I see them as the, basically the God in my life? Exactly. There is always a power in our lives. There is always a sense of dependency in our lives. The question is, where is that power? Where do we attribute power? Ooh. Who is our power? What is our power? What has power? And to the extent that we attribute power to other people, that's the extent of that impact that that other person has on us emotionally, psychologically, and even physically. But in the self that we're trying to nurture, that absolute oneness, that sense of oneness with Hashem, that's what it looks like, an absolute sense of oneness with Hashem, a real attachment, a healthy attachment, a healthy sense of connection, a bond that's unbreakable. And that becomes an inner island of love, of compassion, a, a reservoir of dignity, of strength, of courage, of all that emotional goodness that we need, we can recharge from within ourselves. We have a self. We have a self. And that becomes the springboard from which we engage in everything. And it makes a huge difference to how we experience everything in our lives and how we interact with everyone, with everything. You were asking, so how do we develop that sense of self? And so I started talking about Hashem as the power. The more we believe that Hashem is a power and that Hashem has so much value, not just value in the skies, not just theoretical value, but actual power and value in my practical life, to the extent that I believe that and that I experience that, that's how much I will experience the power and the empowerment of his presence within me. It's like people say, faith in Hashem, trust in Hashem is not so practical, right? And I think over time, I've learned that Faith is practical to the extent that we practice it. The more we practice and Mm. actualize Hashem's presence in our lives in a real way, in a tangible way, the more it does something for us in a deep way that we could experience in our own lives. Oh, that's so powerful. I have to ask, what does it look like to internalize that faith in Hashem as the cornerstone of your sense of self? I think it makes all the difference. I'm going to share that little story that everyone is familiar with, but it's such a powerful story. That story of the guy from hell who goes to the big city and he sees this bell that they ring when the fire happens and they ring the bell. And all of a sudden there's buckets of water and pails and ladders and people coming and going. And in minutes, the, or seconds, however, you know, the, the fire is put out. Right. And then the guy goes back to Helm and the guy says, wow, we don't have that in Chelm, right? So he orders the bell and he schleps it back to Chelm and he puts it up on the city square and he's so excited and he tells everyone the next time there's a fire, don't do anything. I'm going to ring this bell. Watch and see what happens. 
And and of course, there's a fire soon enough and he rings the bell mm. and everyone's standing there and there's no buckets and there's no pails and there's no water flowing. And the guy is like, well, minute, I'm going to bang it harder. And he's ringing it harder and nothing happens. He schleps back the, and of course they ended up putting out the fire, but not before, you know, it did significant damage. And then he goes back to the person who made the bell and he's like, you sold me a lemon. What did you do to me? And the guy says, no, it's not the bell that puts out the fire. The bell only triggers a system and the system puts out mm. the fire. Nice. So what does it look like? People tell me all the time, well, I think about my neshama and it doesn't make a difference to my day. Ooh. It's very nice. I know it intellectually. I don't feel it in my heart. You could tell me from Heinz Bismarck, you could tell me from today till tomorrow that I have inner courage and dignity. I don't feel it. So it doesn't work for me. So I need to try something else. Right. And I used to feel like, okay, it doesn't work. But the Alter Rebbe teaches us in Tanya that the bridge between our heart and our mind, anything spiritual, anything about Hashem doesn't just enter our mind, our hearts and our bodies without intense work. And the work is Chachma, Bina, and Das, processing it in three steps, learning about Hashem, thinking about Hashem, meditating about Hashem. And the Das is letting go of ideas that we have, first of all, being aware of our inner resistance to those ideas, and then letting go of those lies that we believe. So let's say, for example, we want to believe that Arnashama gives us that real oneness with Hashem, and that by leaning into that oneness with Hashem, we're leaning into unstoppable courage, empowerment, dignity, like real unconditional respectability. And so if we think about that, learning about that mm. is the Chachma part. Learning about Hashem is the Chachma part. Bina would be like meditating about it. And then Das would be, when I say I am worthy, what resistance comes up for me? What does that cynical voice in my mind tell me to negate that, to reject that idea? And I want to listen to that and say, well, what do I believe? What do I want to live by? Which one is true? Is it true? that I have unconditional respectability? Or does that mistake I made yesterday, the burnt cookies, or the fact that I lost my temper, let's say, or lost my cool and said something that I didn't want to say, does that define me? So what do I want to believe? And then I might have to reframe what I believed to reconcile it with the truth of what I want to believe, which is the fact that I am unconditionally respectable. And if you do that over a period of time, that's just one way, right? But this is a big way. We don't even realize that inner voice of negativity, of toxic abuse that we shower upon ourselves throughout the day, or at least that I used to. I don't know if everybody does this, but I used to do this all the time, like in a constant barrage of toxic negativity that I didn't even realize was happening. I didn't realize what I was doing to myself. So becoming aware of it and then consciously making a decision, no, that's not true. The truth is that I am respectable. And where does that mistake fit into the fact that I'm respectable? It fits in because humans make mistakes. And if I learn from it, then it was a worthwhile experience and I could fix this. Some things you can't fix. If I learned from it, it's valuable, it's precious, it's going to make my future different. So every time we do this, it's like turning on a little light. Or it's like, in, to use the analogy that we used before, it's like setting up a bucket of water. And then when I think about the fact that I have a neshama, I'm in a situation, 
and I suddenly feel ashamed, I can think about the fact that I have an ashama and suddenly now there's buckets of water that are putting out the fire of despair, of shame, of toxic energy that floods my consciousness because I've, I've, I've set up a system. I did the work. So that's what it looks like. It's having that inner self that is never touched by any mistakes we do, by anything that happens to us mm. or any challenge, any circumstances. So it's a, like really separating our actions, our lived experience from that essential part of ourselves, which is our neshama, and never allowing our sense of self basically to be colored by our experiences or by our beliefs about ourselves, et cetera. Yeah. It's about having that self. And I can tell you that I'm doing this work for a bunch of years now, about 10 years, and I still slip into my old patterns at times. And it's a constant coming back to that inner island of love and compassion and dignity and worthiness. It's, it's like we slip into other identities and we keep having to come back to our true self. And I think that's what we mean when we talk about, you know, centering yourself. Sometimes you just have to take a deep breath and get back into your center. Somebody actually shared this little example with me the other night, and I, I, I love it. She said she's been doing this work for two years. She was recently had an experience that was so powerful. And the reason why I think it's so powerful is because it's so simple. She was out exercising and for exercise, she put on a, a shaitel that is old and she doesn't feel pretty in it at all. And so she went exercising and she came back home and she was done and she was in her house and guests showed up and the guests were supposed to show up, but she forgot that they were coming. So she's opening the door to the guests, really feeling not pretty. You're wearing this rag on her head <laughs> that she didn't feel pretty mm. in. And she said, you know, if this would happen before she had done this work, she would have a very yucky feeling about herself. She said she wouldn't even have that awareness of, oh, I just, that was shame. I was embarrassed. And I, I had this belief about myself that I'm not good enough. And, you know, but now she was very conscious of like, uh-oh, there's a voice in my head that says something's wrong with you. If you can open the door to guests looking like that. You know, I'm, I'm not quoting her exactly, but she's like, she had this idea in her head that something's wrong, but she was able to come back to it, her mm. center and say, Hey, I am not my shaito. I am not my looks. I'm fine. This is all good. And what they're coming for is me and my smile and my welcoming embrace. And with that, she was able to greet them from that place of her true self with the welcoming heart that she really had. I asked her, what would it be like two years ago? She said she would just have a yucky feeling the whole time and she wouldn't even be able to put her finger on it. It's a very powerful ability to be able to separate ourselves from, let's say, you know, that ratty shaitel on your head. I'm wondering, because you mentioned that, what are they really coming for? They're coming for her welcoming smile, for her warmth. Wouldn't you say that the welcoming smile and warmth, like even that is not really essence because essence is not doesn't really have necessarily like a specific action. If we're saying to identify ourselves with our actions, then you could argue that even if she wasn't feeling well and couldn't give them her welcoming smile, they still want to be with her because they want to be with her and her essence is beyond those actions. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. How do we separate essence from personality, from things that we do 
from the energy that we give. Like, obviously, we can agree that there is a spectrum. Like, our looks are very distant from our essence, whereas maybe our personality might feel closer to our essence or our self expression. But how do we identify where everything falls in relation to essence, in relation to soul? That's an excellent question. I'm really enjoying this conversation. <laughs> That's an excellent question. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. You know, when people ask you a question, it makes you think. And it's beautiful to be able to think about. I'm enjoying thinking about it. Good, I'm happy. So I think that the essence that we're talking about is like a light that wants to shine. Every one of us has an ideal version of ourselves, which not an ideal version of ourselves. We have a desire to show up with kindness, with dignity, with love, with compassion. We, we want to show up as a light in this world. But then we have 101 reasons why we can't. I want to be nice to you, but hey, the reason why I can't is because you're not nice to me. I want to open that door with a smile because right. that smile reflects my essence. I want to shine in this interaction from the place of my essence. I'm going to smile. Of course, I'm going to smile because that is the way my essence shows up. Our neshama shows up with a smile. Our neshama shows up like a light, like a beautiful, embracing, all-encompassing light, right? So I'm going to the door and I want to open it up with a smile. I want to let my essence shine, but I can't because you see this shaitel, <laughs> you know, the shaitel is getting in my way. We have a hundred reasons why we can't. If you think about mm. it, you know, the Rebbe's okay. advice, even in marriage, the Rebbe's advice, if you read the letters of the Rebbe to couples who are struggling with shalom bias, very often the Rebbe's advice is be nice, be nice. And if you can't figure out how to be nice, talk to somebody who could help you figure out how to be nice. And years ago, when I read these letters, I'd be like, come on. Of course, I wouldn't say it out loud. And I should be embarrassed to say this in public. But the reason why I'm not embarrassed to say it in public is because I think if we don't say it, then a lot of people probably think this, but they're just too embarrassed to talk about it, right? I would roll my, my, my eyes in my head. Really? Be nice? What about trauma? What about mental health issues? What about real dysfunction that you're facing? What do you mean, be nice? Like, how is that even possible? And how is that a curative, a healing force? How is that supposed to work even? Over time, what I learned is that the Rebbe truly valued and respected the power of the Jewish soul, the power of really who we are. And the more we were tuned into that self, the more nothing else is a reason why not to be myself. Now that self might choose to walk away from a certain relationship or to walk away from abuse or dysfunction if I can't fix it, right? That's not what we're talking about here. What we are talking about is I am always able, there's no excuse in the world for me not being able to show up in a way that's true to my essence, in a way that's true to who I am and who I want to be in this world. Most of us, and I know for myself, I definitely used to be this. I'd be like, yeah, I want to be nice, but I can't because that person is being disgusting. How am I supposed to be nice? Now, it doesn't mean we have to go be nice to all the people who are not nice to us in this world. You don't have to look for opportunities to put yourself out there to being hurt. But I think we're all in relationships that are very close to us. And what did the, the Kutzker said? If I am I because you are you and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you, right? 
So mm. I say, yeah, as a t- if my behavior is a result of your behavior and your behavior is always a result of my behavior, then both of us are nothing but victims of circumstances. We're not victims of circumstances. We're carriers of Hashem's light. And as carriers of Hashem's light, each and every one of us is responsible for our behavior in a way that depends on nothing and no one but our own self. Mm. That's very significant to identify what things are obstructing that light within you that just wants to shine and be expressed in the world and to be able to clear those obstructions so that you could have that clear channel from your essence to your self-expression. And I think that most of us have experienced those moments where we did feel very much in alignment with that light inside of us that was able to shine, that there was nothing obstructing for so many different reasons. And like, I can get a sense of what you're saying, that like, there was nothing obstructing. It was clear. It was clear expression from someplace deep inside of me. And going back to what you were sharing at the beginning about the self-betterment, the self-care, the self-expression, all those things, like if there's no self, then what are you caring for and what are you managing and what are you expressing? I would love if you could share practically and from your own life would be a bonus where this work of identifying the self as the neshama has changed the way you care for yourself, changed the way that you work on yourself, changed the way that you express yourself in this world. I used to not have a self like many of us, I did not have a sense of self. And I didn't even realize that there was this concept of self, that we need to develop a sense of self. I didn't have it. When we don't have a sense of self, subconsciously, every relationship becomes a way to get a sense of self. Because if I could be successful here, then Mm. that success becomes my identity. Unless we have a sense of self, every relationship is really subconsciously our way of trying to get a sense of self. And so eventually that was really not working for me. That just didn't work for me anymore because what are you thinking? Me right now? I'm just like, that was on the money. That was razor sharp insight. That really was. But I don't want to, I'm just like giving you the expression of like, oh my goodness, but I want you to finish (laughs) your thought because I want to hear what you're saying. Yeah. So then how did that play itself out in my relationships where we would be like, I had certain expectations, I had certain needs. And I think maybe even I had this in my marriage. It's like, I'm going to do everything for you. P.S. The one thing you need to give me is a sense of self, a good sense of self. Right. And if I don't have that, then I have nothing. And I think many women come into marriage, I'll wash your laundry, I'll do the dishes, I'll cook the food, I'll do everything. All you have to do is make me feel like a million dollars. But really, if we don't on our own feel like a million dollars, then all our giving is just a request to try to feel the way we want to feel. And then when we don't get that back, we feel like massive losers. And that starts a terribly toxic cycle of negative energy in the relationship. You know, somebody once said it very well. She said to me, she's like, yeah, marriage is two halves of a whole, but every whole, every half has to be a whole half, right? And what that means is like each one of us has to be a self. I have to be an ashama. I have to be a person. I have to come into the relationship already full, already 
satisfied, already successful, already defined as good. So now when I come to the relationship, I'm a self. Now my giving is because I want to give. My doing is because this is what I want to do. And when I don't want to give and when I don't want to do, it's okay. I can give myself permission. I don't feel forced. I don't feel compelled. I don't have to do anything. I'm doing this because I want to. And when I need to take a time out for myself, when I need to slow down, that's okay. Because my life, my identity, my value, my goodness as a person is not dependent on it. When I'm not being treated the way I would like to be treated. So yeah, there is a certain sense of, hey, I don't like that. You know, I didn't like that. Can you please not do that? Or can you please yes, do that? Or we can make a request, but the request is going to come from a place of dignity, from a place of self-respect. Whereas without that, I know in my life, I would be so miserable and I'm so, so upset that I wouldn't even be able to make a request. I would make an, I would attack because if I don't have a sense of self and in this relationship, I need you to make me feel good about myself for me to be safe. Then the minute you're not making me feel good about myself, I move into my amygdala. I move into fight or flight mode and I won't make a request. I will attack you. I will say, you're not, you're not doing this. I don't know that you're, you're being this. You're, Whoa, slow down. And that triggers more negative energy in the relationship. And I'm, I'm sharing this from one little experience, but I think that every one of us has this in our relationships and it plays itself out differently in marriage, differently in children. You know, if my daughter is complaining about something and I need her to be happy so that I could feel good about myself because that's what makes me, quote unquote, a good mother then her lack of happiness already puts me into fight or flight mode. And I can't really help her because I now have become a victim of her lack of unhappiness. I am a victim of her bad mood. And being a victim of somebody else's bad mood, you can't help them. You're the victim. But if I have a sense of self and I'm good, you know, I'm good whether you're happy or you're not happy. I want you to be happy. Of course, I want you to be happy, but but that has nothing to do with me being a good person or me being a good mother or me being a good wife. I want you to be happy because I want you to be happy. No strings attached. If your unhappiness is not attacking me, I can help you. I can be supportive. I can be compassionate. Yeah. It was funny. Once once my manager was in my kitchen and she's looking for an apple and it was in a, a, on a Shabbos afternoon and she's looking for an apple. She's like, Ma, do you have apples? Don't you have apples? And I was like, oh, I hope I have apples. And she's and she finally found an apple. She's like, oh, Baruch Hashem, I found one. I'm like, yes, I'm a good mother. I keep a well-stocked fridge. <laughs> and she laughed. She's like, really? An apple makes all the difference to you being a good mother or not? And of course, it was a joke. We, we both were laughing about it. It happened this year. But the joke used to be very real. I would really be holding my breath thinking, oh, okay, I failed. Yeah. Oh, I know that feeling. It's like we ran out of eggs. What does that say about me in the way that I'm able to show up for my family, you know? But right. that line that you used, I will give you everything. And the only thing that I need in return is a sense of self, a positive sense of self. 
That is really, really powerful insight into how we show up in a relationship when we depend on the other person for our sense of self. Like you said, with a spouse, with children, and also with friends, when we begin to identify ourselves with other people, and then essentially what we're doing, like you were saying in the beginning, is we're giving the power of our sense of self to them instead of to Hashem. So instead of rooting that sense of self in something that's untouchable, infinite, unchanging, we're giving that sense of self into the hands of someone who doesn't even want to be in control of our sense of self, but we're essentially forcing them. And then there's such a negative loop that can happen, which is that, like you said, you can't really support people in your life if the way that they are behaving, feeling is a direct correlation to how good of a mother you are, spouse, friend. There's no way of truly being able to give because that sense of self is not whole and it's dependent on something that isn't true. Yeah. And that's when we learn Paraklam and Bayes and Tanya and the Alter Rebbe says the only way that we can have true love, unconditional love, is if we make our neshama primary, more important than anything else about us. That's what right. the Alter Rebbe is talking about. If my love for myself is conditional upon my looks, my body, my weight, my success, my failures, if my love for myself is based on what I do or what I don't do or anything besides my neshama, then that love is conditional because our neshama is the only part of ourselves that is unconditionally worthy. Even before we did anything, it's unconditionally worthy. And it gives us that sense of value to the extent that I don't value my neshama more than anything else about me, then I won't have unconditional love for myself and I won't be able to have unconditional love or respect for any other person in my life. Yeah. Stern, I'm wondering, I'd love if you could share where you've really like seen this in Hasidus in a way that identified it to you in just crystal clear terms that you could actually begin to apply it to your life. Well, wow, so that's a very big question. And the truth is that when I started learning Hasidus in depth, Lakute Taira, Taira R, which is all about Hashem, and not just in depth, but in a way of like really being present with the ideas and allowing the ideas to sink in, mm. allowing the ideas to find a seat in my heart amongst everything else that was going on in my life. Once Hashem became real, my Neshama became real. But actually, a couple of years ago, there's a wonderful app called the Daily Sicha, and I try to listen to that every day. So many days I don't, but I try to listen to that as much as possible. It's like hearing the Rebbe's voice for 10 to 12 minutes. So a couple of years ago on the Daily Sicha, there was a Daily Sicha that literally blew my mind, and it talks a lot about, it talks, it's exactly this. I want to quote one line. It's the Sicha of Yutes Kislev Tavshin Chavches. And the Rebbe says, most of the tsaris, the misfortunes in our lives, the greatest confusion and the greatest, you know, from recent years. And the Rebbe says, there are so many things that are, go- that are chaotic and things that are going wrong. And the Rebbe says, it's, it's, a lot of it is called juvenile delinquency and crimes and chaos and confusion. And the, the words the Rebbe uses uses our tsaris tsururis, like real misfortunes of misfortunes. Where does that all come from? Where is it all rooted in? 
here's the line that I want to quote. If we look into where it, what's the root of all the problems, of all the confusion, and all the chaos in the world and in our personal lives, we didn't work it out between our never shall a kiss in our mind and the rest of our hearts and our bodies. We just didn't, we didn't work it out. We didn't establish our neshama as the leader of who we are, as that place from which we live. And the Rebbe goes on to elaborate for like almost two pages in the text, which is about 10 minutes the Rebbe is speaking about elaborating on the enormity of the impact of this problem, of how we confuse ourselves and how our brains get hijacked by lies that we believe about ourselves, about the world, about other people, all because our neshama is not in charge. And the Rebbe says, it's not going to help even if you learn, because whatever you learn, you're going to project that disconnect into what you're learning. All that disconnect is just going to be reflected, all you're going to see is disconnect. Everything is going to be impacted. And the Rebbe says, the only thing that helps, the only thing that helps is if we tell ourselves or the person that we want to help that you are a nefesh elikis, a chilek elika mimal namish. And the Rebbe says, if you said it 99 times and you didn't mean it with your full heart, it's not enough. A hundred times and mean it with your full heart. And again, and again, and again, until you absorb that. And when we absorb the magnitude, the majestic beauty of who we are and the value, the unbreakable value, and I'm trying to find the right word, but it's like infinite, limitless value of having a chelak alakami mal namash, an actual part of Hashem as the core of who we are, that brings all the healing to all the confusion, to all the chaos in our personal lives. That sicha was like, whoa, it's from Yutes Kislev, Tavshin Chavches, if anybody wow. wants to look it up. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a really, really powerful truth. And I think that it's kind of hard to internalize, that it's like no amount of learning will help if you have not internalized this mind, body, mind, soul, mind, heart, really, connection of the idea that like your neshama is actually who you are. And there's this phrase that is floating around constantly in like this the self-help world of you are worthy, people's behavior towards you doesn't affect your worthiness, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this is very different because often when I read those phrases without this foundation in Tyra, it feels empty to me. I'm like, I'm worthy because what? Why am I worthy? You are worthy because you are telling me that I'm worthy. But here we're saying, it's not just you are worthy as an empty phrase. It's you have a chelok alakami mom mamish inside of you. It's something that connects you to like the the truth of the world, to like essence, to abishtar. It's something that's so much deeper than what we can even comprehend. So it's not just you are worthy, full stop. It's you are worthy. You have a neshama, and that neshama is a piece of Hashem. And as a result, we don't have to look to other people to define our worth, and we don't have to look to our accomplishments and to our behaviors. We can actually look within to that piece of Hashem. Revolutionary. The way you said it was so beautiful, and it doesn't mean that we don't appreciate and enjoy compliments, approval, validation. I think that's, we, we all do. Mm. But am I the poor person who's so needy and I'm desperate for that approval and validation? And if I don't get it, then I'm missing something fundamental about who I am. 
Or am I essentially full and I'm rich, emotionally rich? And then when you give me approval, validation, it's just fun. It's enjoyable. It's a delight. It's a gift. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's a nice frosting on the cake. I'd love if you can share some words of advice for any human being on this journey of trying to internalize their neshama as their self-concept that they really, truly experience on a human level. What would be your advice for beginning to integrate what the Rebbe spoke about in that sicha of actually being able to bridge this truth that we know with our lived experience so that it could then show up in our relationships and, the, and in the way we move through the world? Well, the Rebbe's advice in that sicha is to tell it to ourselves. You are a nefesh alikis. You are a chelak alika mimal mamish. To tell it to ourselves and to tell it to the people in our lives. And to tell it to ourselves in a way that we actually mean with our full heart. What I was talking about before, the three processes of knowledge, of, of acquiring, of integrating knowledge into ourselves is Chachma, Bina, and Das. Where Chachma is like, I'm learning about it. Bina is, I'm meditating about it. I'm absorbing it. I'm giving it more. I'm, an, I'm analyzing it. I'm understanding it more deeply. But the Das part, the Das is really where we really integrate it into our bones, into our bodies, into our practical, tangible experiences. My daughter shared this experience with me recently that she read or watched where a group of people got together and they put on virtual reality glasses or a headset. And before they put them on, they were told that they, they were in a room, a regular living room, dining room, whatever it was. And they were told that when you put on this headset, you're going to feel as if you are standing on the top of a high-rise building. It's going to really feel like you're there. And the challenge is this. You know in your mind you are standing on firm ground. You're going to see yourself standing on the top of a roof. The challenge is just take one step. When you take that one step, in the virtual reality, you're going to feel as if you're plunging to your death. But you know the truth. Okay? You know the truth. You're not. Yeah. Nothing is actually happening. It's just virtual reality. It's not actual reality. And so they tried these headsets on and not one person was able to take that step. Not one person. They were all accomplished, intellectual, intelligent people. Not one person was able to take that step off the roof. Take that step forward on regular ground. Why? Because what they were seeing with their eyes was that when they take that step, they're jumping off the roof. In fact, the leader of the group, the group facilitator, pressed her hands into the back of one of the women and gently, like not not pushed her hard, but gave her a little like, you know, pushed her hands into her back. And she fell over herself and shrieked loudly as if she was falling off the top of that roof. What happened? Their minds knew that they are on firm ground, but their bodies got a different message. And their bodies gave that message of lack of safety to their subconscious mind, which was much stronger than anything that they knew on a conscious level. And when I heard that, when she was telling me that it was on a Shabbos, I was like, mm. whoa, that is exactly the definition of our experience in this world. Because our heads know Hashem is the only power. Our wow. heads know, our minds know, yeah, I'm a chelak alakami mal. I have worthiness. Of course, I have untouchable dignity. And my, my respectability is infinite. It's limitless. It's unconditional. Nobody could take it away from me. 
No matter what else is going on in my life, I have, I'm good. I'm good. That's what my head knows. But my body is Mm. getting a bombardment of messages in a virtual reality. We live in a virtual reality. Wow. We don't live in the reality of Hashem's truth. So it's up to us to cross that bridge and get into the truth of Hashem's reality. And when we do that, to the extent that we could do that, we have to get out of the virtual reality. That's what we have to do. So to me, Das is getting out of the virtual reality. Why? Because in Das, what we do is we're making a decision. We're making a decision. We're listening to the inner voice of resistance, to our bodies screaming, yikes, no way. I'm not good. I belong in the corner. <laughs> I, can't, I can't show my face. I'm, I'm a terrible loser. I'm a failure, all that. And then we have that decision to make and we have to say, well, which one is the true reality? Which one is actual reality? Is Mm. it the virtual reality or the actual reality? Is Hashem's truth, is Hashem's reality and Hashem's value and the value of your neshama actual? Is that where we really live? Is that, does that mean something? Then act on it, do something about it. And then that action reinforces our connection with that idea. And every time we do this, it's like a little bit more of a connection, a little bit more of a connection. And that's how we could develop that sense of self. And another thing that I think is very, very important is to, you know, when I listen to your podcast, for example, and you're talking about spiritual concepts in human terms, right? To me, that's another way of stepping out of the virtual reality and building a bridge into the reality of Hashem's truth. Because what you do in your conversations is like, okay, there's these concepts, but like, what does that look like in real life? And what do we have to let go of in order to make space for that idea to take root in our practical lives? Right. So that's, so having these kind of conversations, what you're doing, that's why I'm so excited about your work because, and that's why I was so happy to come on today because what you're doing is fantastic. And if people can listen to these kinds of conversations, the ones that you're having and have them with each other around real tables and one-on-one with our friends, with our little circles of friends, that's what a Fabrengan is supposed to be. We need this. We need this kind of connection to break through that barrier of the virtual reality. And then our neshama could become more and more real, more and more practical, and something that we could actually lean on, of course, in a reactive way, when things are not going our way and we need to recenter ourselves and anchor ourselves in a place of strength, but even proactively to go into situations from that place of dignity, courage, self-respect, and respect for other people. Yeah. I'm so with you. Because we receive such a large amount of input from the world that bolsters an identity other than our neshama, we have to be able to counterbalance that with, I mean, I would like to say equal if that's possible, but definitely somewhat measurable amount of input that strengthens our understanding of truth and neshama in a way that we could understand. Because otherwise, how can we expect our neshama to have a voice in our lives if there's no space where it's really being freely expressed or being encouraged or being strengthened? You know, like I think of it as a whisper that needs a lot of coaxing to be able to be expressed in a world that isn't always friendly to that line of thinking. So I definitely feel like it's a process and it's a journey of upping that voice in our lives. Thank you 
Thank you. It's an honor to speak to someone who is not only learned, but also really serious about integrating the ideas into her own life. And I think that you've really communicated that in a way that we can integrate. So thank you for taking a huge, huge foundational concept and bringing it down. It was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. If it's okay with you, I want to share one more thing. One other way we could do this is a lot of that connection could happen with things that we are already doing in our day. Because action, when we act on something, it reinforces our connection with that concept, right? So if I treat myself with self-respect or treat other people with respect, that reinforces that concept that that person is respectable. That's why giving helps us love people and loving helps us give, but giving also helps us love, right? Because action breeds connection. So a lot of what we're doing throughout the day is already, we're, we have the bell, right? We have that bell, like we spoke about that in that analogy, we're, we're ringing the bell. We may as well set mm. up the system. So like, for example, you walk into your house, you're going to touch the mezuzah, right? You may as well think about it for a second, just pause for a millimeter of a second, a microsecond, whatever the word is, just to think, well, Hashem is at this moment protecting me, embracing me. If I give a coin to tzedakah, yes, we want to think gedayla tzedakah shemekareves asa geula. You know, tzedakah brings the geula closer. But at the same time, it's like I am affirming that everything that I have belongs to Hashem. It's all a gift. Even just when we say a bracha, everyone says that bracha every day, at least three times a day, you're drinking a cup of water. Imagine if we just think, wow, every single thing that exists exists all by Hashem's word. So things that we are already doing, saying a bracha, touching them as a giving tzedakah, keeping kosher, any mitzvah that we do, whatever it is, you're putting a shetel on your head. Hashem, this is an expression of my belief that Hashem is true in my life, mm. that my neshama is true in my life. We just have to kind of connect the dots nice. because we're doing it anyway. So by connecting the dots, we are magnifying the impact, or I will say what you said before of like the Deshama's voice is a whisper that we want to amplify and magnify. That magnifies the impact. That kind of brings and allows that mitzvah to be an expression that I experience of my oneness with Hashem, because that's really what a mitzvah is. It's a connection, but we don't feel the connection because we're so busy doing, coming, going, mm. whatever, you know, but if we take that pause, literally just that heartbeat of a pause to open our hearts, to absorb the connection, that oneness with Hashem that we have in this moment, I am being embraced by Hashem and being held by Hashem. That's another way that we can do this without even adding more time to our day. You know, in other nice. words, you don't have to change oh. anything. It's what you are already doing. Just cash in on the impact of what you are already doing. Oh, I like that because it's so practical. And I like that visual of a bell that triggers a system. Like when you're doing a mitzvah to envision it as a bell that could initiate you to think about this truth. Because like you said, from that Sikh of the Rebbe, we tell this to ourselves again and again and again and again through our actual experience when we're doing something with Hashem. And that will help us be able to truly integrate it into the way that we live. Thank yeah. you so much. This was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Tanya. Self-esteem. Self-care. Self-actualization. Who is that self that is being actualized? Who is that self 
that is being cared for? Who is that self within for whom I have basic esteem? When the self is hollow, an arbitrary set of descriptions about the things we have done or will do, the self-care doesn't fill us. The self-esteem is easily threatened. The self-actualization is muddled by our insecurities and false perceptions of self. When the self is the soul, we are unshakable. We are not defined by what the world tells us we are, or by what our parents have told us we are, or by what the people around us tell us we are. The self-esteem becomes less about what we've done and more about who we essentially are, a soul. The self-care demands that we go deeper and nurture our essence. The self-actualization becomes more authentic and courageous. The world may seek to define you. The ones you love may gladly allow you to borrow their sense of self. You will be none of the world's definitions. You never have been. You have always been a piece of God. You are unbreakable. If you are looking for your worth, for your right to speak, for a self to care for, look within. Everything you build in this lifetime will be nurtured by the spark of your godly soul. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidlecha lechaber lechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at human and holy or via email at humanandholy at gmail dot com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>